Thank you for choosing to listen to the Emmaus Radio Ministry Podcast. Each of these messages were given by various faculty, staff, and friends of Emmaus Bible College. To view each series as a whole, or for more information about similar Emmaus ministries, please visit concerninghim.com. That's C-O-N-C-E-R-N-I-N-G-H-I-M.com. We're continuing on in our overview of the life of the Apostle Paul. We've been looking at the early life of Saul from the time of his conversion on the road to Damascus and then his early ministry in the city of Damascus and then down in Jerusalem and then sent from there back up to Tarsus of Cilicia for some time. And last time we saw Barnabas go and find him in Tarsus and uh, get him to come to work in Antioch of Syria to assist with the ministry of speaking with Hellenistic Jews about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And uh, Saul was able to powerfully argue uh, against them and to show from Scripture and uh, probably testify from his own experience that Jesus was, in fact, the Messiah. Now, uh, today we're going to take a look at Acts chapter 12, and we are going to see uh, Barnabas and Saul in the background of the events that are going on uh, in the book of Acts in chapter 12. Let's pray as we begin this session. Our Father in heaven, we thank you once again for the opportunity that we have to listen to your word being read and think about uh, the events in the life of the Apostle Paul and the early church. Uh, we pray that these things would not simply be historical accounts to us, but that through your spirit, we would be able to understand how they apply to our lives today as well. We thank you for our time together. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we're looking at, at Acts chapter 12, and I just want to start out by reading the first section of verses here. This is verses 1 through 5 of Acts 12. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword, and when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Now, it seems to us as if we're reading uh, Acts chapter 11 and then into chapter 12 that what's going on is the uh, church at Antioch is sending a financial gift down to the church in Jerusalem because of the famine. And then uh, Saul and Barnabas are taking this gift down at the end of chapter 11. And as they're there, the events of chapter 12 transpire. Now, whether or not the events of chapter 12 are in uh, chronological order here has been something of a discussion. It may be that uh, they were, this all occurs a little bit before the ministry of Barnabas and Saul to the church in Jerusalem. I take this in a chronological sense here. So I would see Barnabas and Saul being in Jerusalem for the time when the events of chapter 12 occur. What's happening here in chapter 12? Well, during this famine, not only are uh, the 
church, the believers in Christ in Jerusalem, already struggling to find food. Now we have Herod, uh, who is not Herod the Great, uh, but Herod Agrippa I, uh, who would be persecuting the church violently at the beginning of this chapter. We are told that he uh, arrests and then kills James, the brother of John, with the sword, one of the twelve, one who had walked with Jesus during his earthly ministry. He does this, Herod does, for political leverage and uh, for advanced position among the Jews so that he can find favor with them. And when he sees that it pleases the Jews, who remember after the stoning of Stephen, there is a uh, large persecution of followers of Jesus that begins. And so there's this Jewish backlash against the way or followers of Jesus. So when Herod sees that it is pleasing to the Jews that he did this, he also has Peter arrested. And the thought behind this is he's also going to have Peter executed as a way to gain favor with the Jews. Now, in chapter 12, we're told this occurs near the time of the Passover. And we know from other extra-biblical sources that this occurs around A.D. 44. So uh, Herod... Agrippa I uh, lives until a little bit later in the year, in A.D. 44. So Herod has Peter imprisoned here in these first five verses, and he sets four squads of soldiers to guard him. After the Passover, uh, he would make his death a public spectacle, just like he had done with James, probably through uh, beheading was his intention. Now, the church is in earnest prayer for Peter in his imprisonment. Uh, while Peter is in chains, they are meeting together and praying together. And I think behind the scenes, it's not wrong for us to read Barnabas and Saul as a part of meeting with the church in Jerusalem, uh, probably during this time, and making prayer for Peter that God would somehow intervene. In the next section of verses, verses 6 through 11, uh, the Lord does just that. He intervenes on behalf of Peter and allows him to escape. Verse 6, Now when Herod was about to bring him out, uh, on that very night, so we have this, this timing given to us, the very next day Peter was going to be taken out before all the people and likely executed. On that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. So he is under heavy guard. There are four people in the immediate room in which he is. Verse 7, And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. 
it opened for them of its own accord. And they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. In this set of verses, Peter is miraculously freed. Now, while he's in prison, he's chained to two soldiers and sleeping between them. There were guards, two guards at the door as well. So there are four people in the immediate room that he's in. An angel appears in light in the cell and strikes Peter. The word here is actually like he smacks him on the side to wake him up and instructs him to dress and put on his sandals, wrap up his cloak, and follow him. The chains fall off. Now, we are not told the specifics, but somehow these four men do not pursue him. I don't know if they are in a stupor because of the angelic appearance here, or if they're just sleeping and they never wake up, and this is all sort of done in stealth. Uh, but the angel wakes him up. They leave together. Peter thinks he's seeing a vision, as this is going on, he doesn't realize that this is happening in real life. They pass through the guards, between gates, and finally the, uh, the main iron gate that opens toward the city opens on its own, of its own accord, and they are out into the street in Jerusalem. Peter had escaped from prison. God uh, broke him out of jail on the night before he was to be executed. Peter responds by realizing the Lord has sent his angel to rescue him from Herod. So Peter goes in verses 12 through 17 to the house of the mother of John Mark. And as we read there, we'll see what happens next. When he realized this, verse 12, he went to the home of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark where many were gathered together and were praying. And if I had to guess, I would think perhaps Barnabas and Saul were in this group, although it's not explicitly mentioned here. Verse 13, And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice, in her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, You're out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so, and they kept saying, It is his angel. But Peter continued knocking, and when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, Tell these things to James and to the brothers. And then he departed and went to another place. So Peter goes to the house where he knew believers would be gathered, the house of Mary, the mother of John Mark, who's going to enter into the narrative a little bit after this, where many were gathered and were praying. There was a servant girl named Rhoda who recognized Peter's voice as he's knocking on the gate, but instead of opening it, she's so excited that he's there, she runs to tell the others, and they don't believe her. They all think that she's crazy. But when they uh, actually inspect and, and they find out that Peter is at the gate knocking and Peter describes for them how the angel freed him and instructs them to tell James and the brothers. Then Peter leaves and we are not going to see Peter again really much in the book of Acts. 
Uh, Peter leaves the scene, and Luke's focus in the remainder of the book is going to turn to Paul. Now, in verses 18 through 23 of chapter 12, we find out that Herod, and again, this is Herod Agrippa I, is infuriated. He searches for Peter. He orders that the sentries who were on guard be put to death for, fall, for allowing his release. And then Herod leaves the city of Jerusalem and goes down to Caesarea. Luke records for us what happens to Herod at the city of Caesarea. He meets his end as he appears before the people, uh, presumably in the theater there, to hear a case, the people of uh, Tyre and Sidon having come down to him and asking him uh, to do something on their behalf because of their need for food. Well, Josephus actually gives us a little bit more information about this account. He says that Herod was dressed in a beautiful garment of all silver and was sort of glistening in the sunlight. And uh, if you've ever been to Caesarea on the Mediterranean coast, you know the sun, if it sets in the west, is just shining in brilliance over the Mediterranean Sea. The theater at Caesarea faces outward toward the sea. And so if Herod is there uh, presenting himself before the people, talking to the people, with silver garments reflecting the sunlight. He was probably glistening and looked majestic. They began to uh, worship him, shouting the voice of a God and not of a man. And Herod is soaking it in. He's loving it. And God, as a result, judges him and strikes him down uh, through an angel. And we see there uh, at the end of this, uh, in verse 22, the people were shouting the voice of a God, not of a man. Immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. But the result for Barnabas and Saul in verses 24 and 25, the word of God continued or increased and multiplied. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. Now, Saul had learned several lessons, I think, from Peter in this chapter. He learned about persevering in suffering. Peter remained faithful even throughout these difficult times. He learned that God could do the impossible. No one expected Peter's release from prison, but God accomplished it, allowing him to continue to proclaim Christ. And Saul learned that God has different purposes for each one. Why was James allowed to die and not Peter? Peter allowed to continue to live. God had a sovereign plan for each one. His will for James was that he would die at this time and go and be with him. His will for Peter was to go on and continue to serve. The Lord's will is good and God is sovereign. And this would be something that Saul would continue to learn throughout his lifetime. Thank you for listening to the Emmaus Radio Ministry Podcast. This ministry is possible because of the generous contributions from our partners around the world. For more information about partnering with us, please visit emmaus.edu partner.